The Things We All Carry is a podcast about first responders and their stories surrounding trauma on the job. The intention of this podcast is to raise awareness and share meaningful conversation around a subject often viewed as taboo or simply ignored. Be aware this content may be graphic and it is real. It may not be suitable for children or adults triggered by this subject matter. Thank you for joining me for another bonus episode of The Things We All Carry. Christy of Sweary Therapy is back with another round of answers to a few questions that have developed along the way. Just a reminder of where I first heard of Sweary Therapy and Christy. A friend and fellow firefighter, Jim Martin, runs the Unusual Buddha page and podcast. Christy was a guest on his show, and I stole this idea from him. Y'all go check him out on Instagram at the Unusual Buddha. You can also find Christy on Instagram. She's at Sweary Therapy, and she has one of the best taglines ever. It's just fucking therapy, y'all. A quick study of Sweary Therapy and Christy's approach was all I needed to know that I wanted her as a guest on the show. She brings an irreverence to what many see as a staid and sedate practice. As someone who tends to buck tradition and normalcy, I can appreciate and celebrate her style. So this is the second of what I hope will still be in many conversations with Christy as this show evolves. Quick reminder to please help us build a community which not only recognizes, but supports each other through the struggles and recovery. Reach out through Instagram at the things we all carry or email my story at the things we all carry.com to offer support and share your story. Please remember to leave a review on iTunes and give a shout out to any first responder you know, love, or care about. Y'all enjoy the show. Like I said, I have no idea where we're going to take this conversation other than we're going to talk about some of the things that have came up in those first few shows. And maybe if there's anything you want to add to from your own experiences, from your own thoughts of what we're talking about, feel free to just to butt in. I don't care. You're not going to offend me. That Now we're good. So last episode, yeah, that's the right word. Last episode, we talked yeah. about the, the, the thinking, the feelings versus the feeling, the feelings, identifying, or reliving, reliving the story versus identifying the feelings and where the where it came from. Mm-hmm. We also talked about that big tree, big T trauma versus little T trauma. I think we unpacked that pretty well, if you ask me. I think so, yeah. We spent a good amount of time talking about EMDR, and I, I challenge you to define it and explain it to us the, I don't know, a couple of days after you've. Oh, my God. <laughs> and you passed your final exam. So that was good. Yay. <laughs> so I know a couple of the things we had talked about. <laughs> when we first talked on the phone were imagine yourself as the emotion and know you touched on it with the movie that you suggested last time. Imagine yourself inside as the emotion. Out. Yeah. The inside out. So imagining yourself as that emotion without a voice and not being able to express yourself and how that affects that emotion as well. Yeah. And so you want to, I don't know if you want to touch on that a little bit and, and explain what you mean by that. It would, that would be okay. wonderful. Yeah, we can talk about. So in there's all different kinds of ways that we can do therapy, right? Different perspectives, different theoretical orientations, different interventions and things like that. And one that I really feel drawn to is something we call like parts work. There's like different kinds of that and one called internal family systems and all this other stuff. And but basically it's have you ever said a part of me feels one way and a part of me feels another way? Oh, yeah. And like those two parts feel very distinct from each other, but definitely like you, it's not, we're not going to that level of fractured. No, it's just a dichotomy of of your own feelings. Exactly. And so sometimes it can be helpful, especially when dealing with emotions or memories or experiences of things that are tough to face. We might 
go through a process of not allowing ourselves to feel those feelings, not allowing ourselves to have that experience, especially if there's any shame involved, which happens a lot when we go through shit when we're young and we don't understand it. We feel responsible for things. And like giving a voice to the various parts of ourselves is a really important part of learning to accept all of ourselves so that we can then from there move on, grow, be complete again, feel complete again. And one of the things that I like to work with my clients, especially when we'll start like very superficial, we'll start on really small stuff before we get to the deep, dark stuff. And it'll be like somebody not letting themselves actually feel their fear, for example, and instead they express it as anger. You know what I mean? Right. And they're like, I really, I, I, all I want to do is figure out how not to yell at my husband all the time. I don't want to yell at my kids all the time, but all the only emotion they can identify with is, is anger because feeling fear or feeling sad or feeling any of these other more vulnerable emotions was never allowed growing up, whether for safety reasons or for whatever. What do you mean so by safety like, reasons? It could be like, let's say your dad's a real douchebag. Likes to hit on you. Mm. If you're going around and you're being a smart ass or you express your emotions and he says, suck it up, don't be a pussy, I'll give you something to cry about. So for safety reasons, you don't say that. Got it. Or it could be, it could also be perceived safety too. Perceived safety is if I feel like I'll get in trouble for something, even if I won't specifically get in trouble for something. And so that ends up being the problem later on. As a kid, you might have not been able to express those emotions for whatever reason. Either they were rejected or they were invalidated or you were actually abused for having them. And so as we grow up, we just make that a habit. It's not safe for me to express this feeling for whatever reason. And so if I feel sad about them, but I'm not allowed to let that get expressed, what am I doing to that emotion of sadness? And that's where I said that last time when we talked was, if I tell sadness at the table every time she wants to say something, and I'm like, no, fuck you, you don't get to talk. And I lock her in a closet in my heart. She's just going to get mad over time. I know I would. <laughs> so like imagining your, like the various parts of yourself, either as emotions or as versions of yourself, you know, this is kind of where you get into like inner child work is the same idea here is imagining using your, your power of imagination to create an environment where you might be able to engage with those parts of yourself in a way okay. and start giving all those parts of yourself uh, a, a seat at the table. What would happen if you let that sad part of yourself actually say what she needs to say might she not get so angry later on that's how i envision it i envision if i have a part of myself that's sad and then i say no fuck you and i lock her in a closet she's just gonna get pissed over time because i won't let her talk yeah just like and then any human gonna, would exactly because this is a part of me so this is a human this is a part of my humanness my human experience that i'm denying and saying you are not valid Interesting. Does okay. that make sense? No, it makes total sense. It's just instead of saying it to to a person, it's it's the feeling that you're not allowing to mm -hmm. be valid. And just imagining it as a feeling, as a person, like from the movie Inside Out, that's one way to envision it. Other times I might envision or a client of mine might envision like another version of themselves. Like I have a client that has her little girl version of herself, like at age six. And she's got a name for that part of herself. And then she's got her teenager version. It's usually a little bit more rebellious, usually because it's being more protective, right? And then she has like her young adult self and then she has her wise adult self. And then she's working on developing her old lady version, who's mm. old and wise and chill and calm. 
<laughs> and has all this shit under control and could be the voice of reason, <laughs> right? And it helps to give those spaces within us that, that opportunity to say what they need to say, because a lot of times our emotions, they have a message from Gestalt Therapy talks about how emotions are basically representations of your needs. Every emotion you feel is representing a need of yours, whether it's a need for connection, a need for comfort, a need for safety, whatever. And so learning to give those parts of yourself a voice and understand what this emotion is so that you can understand what this emotion needs, you can understand what you need. What do you need? There's a delay because I'm trying to process that in my head a little bit. Um, okay. Yeah, I, I guess every emotion does express something you need. It's Yeah, like you said, identifying what that need is the tough part. For some people, though, identifying that you even fucking have emotions oh, is the tough part. Yeah, I guess I should have started there because, yeah, I, I think <laughs> I was in that boat for a while. You know, I, I refused yeah. to admit that there were emotions or there was a need for emotions. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, uh, yeah. some of that was protection. So, yeah. But, I mean, think about the work y'all do, right? Y'all see some fucked up shit. Right. And, and it can feel weird to admit like, yeah, no, that does fuck with me, but I'm okay. And instead of the, but I think it should be like, and we can hold more than one kind of emotion in our hearts, in our heads at the same time. Yeah. Admitting that I'm sad about this thing I dealt with earlier today and I, I, but I am okay. Like I can handle it. I can express that. I can totally cope with this. That feels weird. Right. If I'm okay, why do I need to admit that I felt sad? Well, I was going to relate that to, to my my shift a couple of days ago because it was one of those shifts that it was just reminded. Well, we had a it was a good shift. It was also a trying shift. We were we were first due on a little townhouse fire, and my my inside crew that was riding with us did, makes entry through the front door, and the, the first thing they greet us at the front door is a dog. And yeah, yeah, and so we they pull the dog out, and then the second thing is another dog, and they pull that dog out. And then further in, they found another dog, and we have pet oxygen masks, but I think that fire had been burning a little too long and because it was mm. the smoke was banked down. we couldn't You couldn't even see your feet when you walked. So you know, unfortunately, all three dogs died, and for some reason, dogs hit some of us a lot harder than they hit humans. Yeah. And we yeah. made we made our dark humor jokes. Well, well, shit, at least it wasn't a human. And then later yeah. in the shift, <laughs> later that night, we, we get called out for a pedestrian struck and there's our dead human. So we're like, oh, okay, great. So karma's fucking with us a little bit here today because, you know, we right. said, thankfully it wasn't a human. So three three dogs and a human, the death toll for one shift. And, and what we did was exactly what you said. We checked in with each other. We're like, no, nah, that, that was pretty fucked up. But... I think I'm okay with it because I understand that, yeah. that, first of all, it's not our fault. We were just there right. to hopefully help if we could. And so we did. We just checked in with each other as we went through the day and we allowed each other some space and we allowed each other to, to talk. And that is the thing. You have to acknowledge, yeah, I'm okay and I'm going to be okay, but I am sad. That sucked. That was not fun. And just that expression of it, being allowed to acknowledge I have these feelings makes it so you're not locking them in the closet and they don't have to get all big and angry to be able to let out, be let out. Yeah. And that's exactly, that was the intention of saying, okay, man, I don't know about you guys, but that fucked me up a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. It's a better out than in. You got to feel the emotions. And that basically means like letting them exist, feel them, breathe into them, talk about them, whatever it is so that they can pass the fuck through you. <laughs> it's when you don't acknowledge that you have feelings, what those feelings are, that they get stuck. And then yeah. when I get stuck, that's when we act like in the ways that we aren't always so proud of. No, you know? that's when I become an asshole. Yeah, me too. Everybody. Most of us. And I feel like in your profession, it's more likely you're going to have more people go in the asshole route than otherwise. 
And generally, yes, and and that's the thing that a few of us are out here trying to turn that tide because obviously it's not what's good for us. It's funny, I've recently gotten some attention of all things, and I hate the app. I hate it. I hate it with my whole heart. TikTok. But I've gotten some really good feedback on some stuff, but I've also gotten those assholes that are like, oh, maybe you're just not in the right profession. You need to toughen up, you know, that shit. And and, and I'm like, oh, yeah. I, I want to respond, but it's not even worth my time to respond to that. That's that old thinking that I don't care to even engage with those motherfuckers right now. Exactly. If they're so afraid of what it might mean, if they had a feeling, it's just, it's insane. They're not there. They're not ready to hear that yet, unfortunately. Yeah, and, and that's exactly why. What's the adage when you argue f- with fools, it's hard to tell who's who from a distance. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm not, yeah. I just, I'm just not going to do it. It's not, it's not worth my time. Back to the, you called it the parts therapy. Is that what, it, was that correct? Yeah, parts work. So yeah. parts work. I'm sorry. So when you do that, you break it down part by part, correct? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then how do you bring it back to the whole? It depends on the individual, sort of like some of them have an easy time keeping it all within the whole and other people, it takes a little bit more work. But I often introduce this whole concept early on of like, we are, we, I take a very holistic perspective on people to begin with. So when I'm doing my initial consult, I'm telling the kind of therapy that I do. I talk about that where we are not just our feelings. We are not just our thoughts. We are not just our jobs. We are not just a parent. We are, you know, we are a bazillion different things that make us up who we are. And so I build on that over time. And so when we get to where we're doing the real parts work, you know, I'm regularly reminding them, this is just a part of who you are. And I like to use the... And a picture of we're all coming together at uh, like a conference table. You have a committee in your brain, like the inside out imagery, or there was this old show at the 90s that had people in their heads. What the hell was that show called? Oh my God. I feel old now. But they anyway. People in their um, heads? There was this show of these folks who represented somebody's like inside. It's a dumb like sitcom. Yeah. Oh my God. It's going to drive me crazy. I'll text you later when I find it. But <laughs> it was dumb. It's not really, don't bother looking it up. But uh, this idea that we are made up of all these different parts of us and we do have different feelings and, and, and that, but it's always coming back to the whole, the eye that experiences these things, the eye that feels these feelings, the observer that thinks these thoughts, feels these feelings, walks around driving this meat suit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Does that make sense? So, so often- it's a parts thing, but it's also an ownership of the parts. Yeah, like it's a whole, the holistic thing. Like we are made up of parts, but all we need all the parts to be the whole. They are not separate. They are intricately connected to each other. That makes sense. Okay. <laughs> like, I don't know how else to, it's funny. Like when I do these, these shows like with you and with other folks, it's not going to ask these very specific things. This all just comes up so organically in therapy. It's much different talking about it as a standalone thing. Right. Yeah. I'm like, I got to work on this <laughs> so I can be a little bit more eloquent in my descriptions of some of these things. <laughs> no, I, th- I think you explained it just fine. I, you Keep in mind, you're, you're talking to a firefighter and, and pretty much we're, we need a beat into our skulls at times. No, um, it's, and everybody has their different ways of coming to it. Like I said, when I'm working with a person, an individual in therapy though, I've gotten to know them already. We've built some rapport. And so I'll a lot of times tweak my language or my examples or my analogies to fit the things in their life and the things that make sense for them. Yeah, so, you got to bring it to a personal level. Yeah, like I have one client that really likes to go fishing, so we use a lot of fishing analogy. I'll say <laughs> the same exact story, but about fish. I got another guy that likes to hike like I do, so that's really easy. We talk about hiking all the time. Everything's in a freaking analogy with hiking. It's, 
I have another lady that does like makeup and stuff. And so we'll talk about that. And so there's a lot of, you know, layers of things, you know, so it, it's very personal. So trying to talk about it in a more general sense is weird for me, actually. Under a, a subheading under what I had written down with, with imagining the self as, as the emotion, a subheading okay. of that was finding the compassion in yourself. That's a hard one. And, and yeah, it's a hard one. And I don't know, my audience might not know even what that means. I, I yeah. didn't I didn't know what it meant when my own therapist first started talking about it to me because I was like, wait a second. No, that's I'm supposed to be my worst critic. I like asking my clients sometimes whose voice is your inner critic? Who do they sound like? Is it really your voice? And sometimes it is, but a lot of times it's not. It comes from somewhere else. But compassion within the self, like that's a really hard thing. I I struggled with that, too. I was very much on that side of now. I got to beat myself up, keep myself going if I'm not pushing me forward with that whip <laughs> instead of the carrot, I'm not going to go nowhere. So what's a tool for finding that compassion? Is, is there a, is there, is there something you suggest? Yes. There it really, everyone's going to have to find their own tool, but there's a lot of different ways you can do that. I know for me, I went, I used my meditation practice for that. And so I got into what we'd call like a meta meditation, M-E-T-T-A, or what it translates to loving kindness meditation. And it's really good for building empathy towards yourself and towards other people. But it's very like meditation practice based and not so much therapy practice based. There's overlap there, but it doesn't work for everybody. Some people that don't meditate already and aren't really into that sort of stuff, that might be a hard place to start with. So like with some clients, especially my folks with kids, I can sometimes get them to connect with us faster, but you don't have to have a kid. If I'll ask them to imagine themselves when they were little, like little, four or five years old, or I'll ask them to find a picture of themselves. You have a picture of yourself when you were four or five? And it's, I want you to look at that picture and see that little boy or that little girl. They're just a little kid. Everything you say to yourself now as an adult, you're saying to that person, that little kid's still in your heart. And trying to develop the compassion for that little kid sometimes helps to have that external picture and to see that that little kid deserves the same love that maybe your own kids do if you have kids or if you know somebody with kids or if you have a child in your life that you really love. Or Most people don't hate children, so this is usually it works. <laughs> you, yeah. They don't have any or want a lot of them. I don't work with kids. I don't like having lots of little guys around, but I don't have anything against them. I'm just like, no, children. I have my own, my one. Says the woman that, that when we met, you talked about all the kids come to your place anyway. They're teenagers, though, not <laughs> little guys. It's okay. I'm not the most nurturing of people, I feel like, sometimes. Not in that sense. Like, those really kind, soft-spoken ladies that just love all the babies. That's not me. Right. But... And that's okay. Not all of us are like that. So even, but even I have found even people who are like me in that sense that a little kids, I think they think they can still imagine themselves as a kid, or they can still hold in their mind the idea of a bunch of little kids and know that these little kids are, deserve nothing but the most love, safety, food, house, you know, to live in a loving family, good friends, time and space to play. You know what I mean? Like most people can agree that all kids deserve that. And so, so a lot of times we'll work on helping them see themselves as the same kind of deserving kid. So at a, at a more, I don't know, basal level, what is compassion for yourself? Compassion for yourself. It's that same loving, like wanting kindness for that person, for yourself, right? Wanting them though in, in the loving kindness meditation, it's may you be safe. May you be happy. May you be free from suffering. But that sort of almost like well-wishing for yourself and others, that to me is the, that embodies the idea of having compassion. 
Does that make sense? It does. And and again, I'm I'm going to relate it to my own therapy yeah. sessions and, and the fact that my therapist tells me that you, you got to quit stacking those bricks on your back. Yeah. <laughs> and uh-huh. like that, that image of when we talk and, and I'm able to take a brick off for me, that's, that was the first start of going, okay, wait a second. I can show myself some compassion here. And then it's the, it's fighting that, not an urge, but almost a, a need to, okay, that happened. I'm responsible for that. Let me put that brick back on my shoulders. <laughs> yeah. And so learning I, that has been, I don't know, it's, it's nothing short of eye opening, really. Yeah, it's hard. I think compassion also involves a level of being aware of the suffering other people and yourself are experiencing and then wishing to relieve it. Yeah, yeah, I can. Yeah, that's understand. And that's some a way to put it that I can understand it. Yeah, definitely. Right. Normally, a lot of folks uh, I talk to, they have infinite compassion for other people. But when it comes to themselves, they're operating under a different set of rules. And that's that other heading that we had that treating yourself as you treat others. Yeah. And so I'll usually three prong approach, right? I got to imagine yourself as a kid. I might teach them like the love and kindness thing. And so we might use some positive affirmations and things like that. Because a lot of our thoughts, like what you described, it's a habit. We've just been doing it this way for so long that that groove is real deep in the brain. And so it's just literally breaking a habit. And so we have to build new habits. So sometimes giving ourselves new lines to say to ourselves, like I am worthy of love rather than. I'm a shitbag. Just not easy. No, it takes a long time. But think about it. How long did it take you to build the habit of I'm a shitbag? How old are we? Yeah, <laughs> you know, exactly. to stay on it. But that's years and years of one message. And now you're trying to just replace it with another one. That doesn't just happen overnight. I wish, I was just bitching to my best friend about this last night on the phone. I'm like, I really wish that once you become aware of a thing, you're like, ooh, I understand this thing about myself and why I am this way. Okay, I'm done being an asshole to myself now about it. <laughs> yeah, good luck with <laughs> I really wish. It could be that quick, but it's not. It's and, and that's when we run into those, I call them like thought habits or behavior habits. Which is perfect because right? that's another heading that we have is the thinking habits and untraining them. Basically, yeah. So you're not only are you getting to give yourself this idea of working with imagining yourself as a little kid and then you're working on these thought habits and identifying what your thought habits are and trying to, to create new ones. But then you also are going to start identifying. I like to I will use them with my clients. I'll be like, okay, let's say they'll challenge me about something and that they're judging themselves really hard for. I'm like, what do you do when like your best friend does that? Oh, nothing. I'm like, what about when your partner does that? Oh, this is great. Whatever. What about when your kids do that? And they'll tell me and I'm like, what about when you do that? And they're like, oh, I'm a shit bag. And I'm like, what the fuck makes you so special that you get different set of rules? Why do you need a different set of rules? That's me in, in, in a nutshell right there because yeah. I, I can talk to anybody that's done or experienced the same things as me and I can give that grace to them and mm-hmm. that understanding to them. But then when I look myself in the mirror, it's like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Why are you this? Why are you an asshole? Why did you do this again? Why are you causing this? Why are you, you know, right. And it, it's all that blame and it's all, it's back to, you know, putting the bricks on your back. It's really hard. And I know with some of my clients, like I said, you have to have these multiple prongs, right? So they're working on the thought thing. They're imagining themselves as a kid. There's they're, all of these little parts, the affirmations. And then it's, I want you just to run an experiment. Talk to yourself in the mirror the way you would talk to your best friend. Just try it one day and see if anything is different. I'm not saying rainbows and sunshine are going to come start shooting at your ass because you did it, right? It's a slow process. 
But what happens when you try something different? There's a certain part of healing where we have to decide we want to try something different. If you keep doing the same shit, you're going to keep getting the same results. Yes. But that's the definition of insanity, correct? Yeah. Like you can't get a different result if you always act the same way or always say the same thing and don't try anything different. So there, when we're trying to go through our healing journeys and trying to overcome some of this stuff, there's a moment in which you have to just, you know, jump in the pool. You, you, sometimes I talk about dipping your toes in, but you have to change that behavior a little bit. You talked about taking the bricks off. I actually start even smaller than a whole brick. The saying, you know, takes a straw to break the camel's back. Right. If it takes a single fucking piece of straw to be the one that pushes them over the edge, then I can also remove pieces of straw one at a time. Yeah, it's, that's a brilliant way of looking at it. So it's, and I think that also really defines, like, it's a slow process. This is not easy. It doesn't happen overnight. It's totally doable. It's not, it's, it's hard. Yeah, it's definitely hard. I know the first time I walked into a therapy session, I was resistant as could be. And then two hours later, I walked out after losing, I don't know, about a gallon of water in tears. <laughs> and, yeah. and it yeah. felt amazing. But then it also felt, oh, shit, I got so much stuff to work on. Uh -huh. And it was daunting. Yeah. I'm thinking like months into it, I'm thinking we still haven't touched on this or we ha haven't touched uh -huh. on that. And I'm like, what the, yeah. when the fuck are we going to get to the heavy stuff, even though everything has been heavy? Exactly. It's so funny. I have a newer client and, and they expressed a very similar. I know we're doing good work, but I feel like it's going so slow. And I'm like, girl, you're 37 years old. You have 37 years worth of shit to unpack. And you want me to have done it with you in four sessions? Right. <laughs> it's it, four hours it compared just to your 37 years. It just doesn't work like that. <laughs> it doesn't work like that. But you made a good point. Sometimes, though, it also feels like it gets worse before it gets better. And I, I think part of that is like when we start acknowledging that we have these feelings and that we've been through some things and we're starting to be able to get a glimpse of what it's like to offer ourselves some of that compassion. We have to come face to face with the idea that we've been pretending everything's fine when it's not been fine. And we might have felt like we were fine before, but now I started this therapy and now I'm all crying all the time. I'm not better. I'm getting worse. It's no, you're getting in touch with your feelings and you're finally learning to acknowledge the pain that you've been carrying around. And so now you have to feel that you've been ignoring it or hiding it or pretending it's something else for all this time. And so it can feel worse yeah, that, before it feels better. That getting in touch with your feelings is such a twofold thing. It, it, it sucks. It, it really does. Cause it's raw, but it also mm -hmm. feels amazing at the same time. And so it's just so confusing at times to actually yeah. get in touch with your fucking feelings. Yeah. And it's, it's learning. I think that's a big piece of it too, is learning that we don't need to be an either or mindset. It's not black or white, it's not happy or sad. It's not good or bad. It's this both and, right? It, it, and I always go back to the stupid movie Inside Out. And in the movie, you have sadness and happy, you know, sadness and joy. And then you can feel things like bittersweet. Like you can feel more than one thing at a time. I use an example with my, with my clients, like I remember at my sister's funeral, this is a sad, tragic event. Everything sucks. And yet I was able to crack up and giggle my ass off because my best friend said something just ridiculous. So I can have this grief and this sadness at one, on one hand, and I can have love and joy and excitement and have fun on the other hand. It doesn't, they're not mutually exclusive. It's I funny. can hold more than one emotion. It's funny you say that because as you were telling that story, I, I remembered going to a friend's funeral. Oh, this had been years ago. This was probably... Shit, I'm really going to date myself probably upwards of 20 years ago. And yeah. he died unexpectedly. It was somebody we worked with. He died unexpectedly. He had an aneurysm. And 
Uh, oh man. We went to his funeral and, and we were sitting in, in, it wasn't even a church. I forgot where it was, but his father gets up to speak and he says, he relays a story that he had gone home to tell and it was a joke. And he, <laughs> he had told the joke as his own when my friend and I sit next, the friend sitting next to me, he both, we both knew that the joke had come from an autistic student that we worked with. And, but he didn't give the kid credit. He, he took the joke as his own and we just looked at each other and we couldn't stop laughing. And people looked at us like we were the worst people in the world because we were I laughing know, right? at, a, at a wake. <laughs> I was like, I don't know about you guys, but I don't want to be fucking miserable right now. And that was funny. And it's, it's not a denial of that misery. Like that misery's still there. You're not going to change the fact that you're sad because your friend is gone. That hurt is still there. At the same time, you can still have joy. And I think that's a big thing when we go through this is that we can have these really deep, dark, uncomfortable things and we can have beautiful things. It's not an either or because when we're stuck in either or, we also lose choice. We feel trapped. I either feel great and life is butterflies and sunshine or life sucks that I might as well throw myself off a bridge. Yeah. And that's, but that's not the truth. Yeah. That, that doesn't work on either end of that spectrum. Right. All feelings are transient too. The same thing. That's like happiness is fleeting, right? All emotions come and they go. But that can also be like in some ways a strength. It's, I can't hold on to happiness. I'm not happy all the time. You're not meant to be happy all the time because happiness is an emotion and it's going to pass. But that also means your sadness will pass. Yes. Your anger will pass. Those things will pass. Now, when we talk about like grief, that's a little different, right? There's a lot more emotions involved than just sadness. And that isn't really meant to specifically go away. Like your person's always going to be gone. Yeah, that's you're more, always going to feel something. I was going right? to say, that's more of a moderation of feeling. If, if, in my opinion, at least. I've had some loss in my life and, and that it's always, it's so prevalent at the get-go. Obviously, you're feeling it. Oh, yeah. You're feeling it it's completely. Physical. Yes. Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. as time goes on, obviously, it, it lessens, but it, it's always there. It's always there. And and one thing about grief is like when people finally experience it, they're just like, oh, <laughs> yeah. I know what you mean now. But it's a great emotion to teach people that your emotions, your experiences of your feelings are not just in your head. You have a bodily experience of these emotions. Grief is a real big one because it, it just fucking takes over. Your whole body feels that shit. I know when my sister died, oh my God, I felt like I couldn't get out of my bed. My chest felt hollow and empty. My guts were a fucking tornado. Like my whole body felt numb. My brain fog was insane. It was the most physical experience of an emotion I'd ever had in my whole life. That shit lasted for at least two weeks before I could move again. Yeah, it, it parallels. Totally. And it's not like my sadness or the amount that I miss her or anything has changed. Like all of that is still there. But I think what happens, it's almost like it's almost like when you go to the gym and you start working out and at first you can only pick up the little two pound dumbbells and then eventually you can carry the 10 pound dumbbells and eventually you carry the 50 pounds. It's like, you just learn to carry it, you know, which I think is great because that's the name of your show, right? I think we all carry. Exactly. You just get good at carrying it. It doesn't go away, but it doesn't have to define you either. It's just one more thing that you carry because you also carry a whole bunch of great things with you too. All those wonderful memories. And the grief only hurts because you love them so much. People die that you don't love. It don't hurt. No, it doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> it, there's no connection, obviously. So, of course, it doesn't. But, yeah, it's just right. that grief just, it sneaks up on you 
in a way that you just don't understand it until you live it. It's crazy. Yeah. And I, I like the analogy. I heard someone tell me a long time ago when I, I did some hospice work for a while when I was a student and then I volunteered after I graduated. And one of the, uh, one of my supervisors at the time, she said, this worked really good for people that have been to the ocean. You know, you're weighed out into the ocean for about chest high and a big ass wave comes and slams into you and you get knocked all underneath it, water up your nose and you finally get your footing again. Have you ever had that experience? Like grief can be like that where, except the waves are just coming. And then as soon as you get up, you get hit with another one yeah, like early oh yeah. in grief. You're just constantly getting knocked down. Yeah. And the more time that passes, it's like, there's a little bit more space between those waves. That, but that and you learn how to dive under it or dive above it or, or whatever. To cope with it. But there's still going to be that one wave you weren't paying attention, going to come and knock you off your ass every now and then. It right. happens. That's normal. That's okay. And it, it's okay, especially once you've learned that this is, I just have to feel this isn't going to drown me. I can survive it. So I think that's the thing. A lot of people are afraid of those emotions. It's like, it'll never stop. Like they'll get stuck. If I feel this sad, I'll always feel this sad. I'll never feel anything but the sad. Yeah. And like you said, it's fleeting. It's fleeting and it's cyclical. What's that thing? Everyone's afraid to change. But what if we learn to embrace change? What if that feeling of sadness, it's going to change? Or so are you or your environment. Change is constant. So while it can be scary, it can also be the thing that is comforting. It's not always going to be like this. One of the things you said when we first started talking about the thinking and untraining habits are the, uh, that it's the small steps. Yeah. And I thought that was ironic because I went on a hike yesterday before this rain, the remnants <laughs> of the storm you guys are sending my way. Yeah. It's just rain here. We barely even see any wind, but one of the things I was doing on this hike, I forgot my headphones, which I was, I was get mad at myself for, of course, because I just like to listen to music or a podcast when I'm, when I'm out on the hike. But okay. I thought, I think it might've been a blessing because yesterday I, I kind of just, I got into myself. And so yeah. I was, li I was literally talking to myself out loud on the trail. And if, any, if anybody had run into me, they were thinking I'm a madman, but and I came to this conclusion that I'm still at that spot where I'm taking one step forward and then two back. Yeah. And I know it, I realize it. So the, I, I'm saying to myself, all right, maybe it's time to take the, the two steps forward and one step back. Let's be a little cognizant of what we're doing here. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know how to, I'm not sure how to make that change, but it, it was funny because it wasn't even an interior dialogue. It was a literal dialogue as I'm on the trail talking to myself. I love that you were doing that. And so writing it down, journaling is another way you can do that too. Because what it is, is like you're taking something that's very abstract, just your thoughts and your if you want to actually take your thoughts and make them real or understand what it is, you have to be able to put it into words, right? Well, you got to be able to write it down or say it out loud. I haven't been bashful about that. I haven't written lately, but everybody can find my 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 yeah. blog out there, and that's what I do. Absolutely, and it's so helpful. Like there was a study out of uh, I think of UCLA in like 2007, I think, and there's been other studies that have found similar findings. And what they did is they had a whole bunch of people go into a functional MRI machine, and this is the kind of MRI where they can actually like see the brain activity as it's happening. Right. Right. And they had the participants and it's been a while since I read the study. So forgive me if some of my details are a little fuzzy, but the general gist of it was they had the participants like really focus hard on remembering a particular memory that was like evoked strong emotions. So something that made them really scared or really happy or really sad or really afraid, something like that. Right. And so they had them just thinking about this and really trying to you know feel their feelings as big as they could. And they're watching the brain activity and the limbic systems lighten up, the amygdalas lighten up, all this stuff. So the fight or flight system, like really getting engaged because it's big, strong emotions. And then what they did is they had the participants put their feelings into words. I feel scared. I feel angry. 
I feel sad, whatever it was. And just the simple act of putting their feelings into words changed the activity in the brain. They saw different parts of the brain light up, like the prefrontal cortex, like where your executive functioning is, which is where you might store all your coping skills, right? And then there was also a qualitative difference in the experience of the emotion reported by the participants. Not that it was necessarily better, but it was different. It was more manageable. It was less intense. It was some, something changed. Something shifted about their experience. And that's something I have my clients experiment with regularly. It's like when the next time you're feeling big anxiety or big sad or big anger, I want you to stop for a second and say it out loud. I feel angry. I feel sad. And just notice what changes in your body when you do that. There is a change in the experience when you, I don't know, make it tangible, when you write it down, when you say it out loud. I think there is. I My therapist is, is may, she didn't have to point it out because I've always known it, but I, I internalize, uh, especially, I know it's ironic that here I am hosting a podcast and putting a blog out and doing all the social media stuff, but I'm one of the most introverted people you'll ever meet. And I know that's mm -hmm. not an outgoing thing. That's a, that's an energy thing. Yes. But it, it does drain me. And, and one of the things that, yeah. that I know is my habit is I internalize it because I don't need to burden somebody else. And that's a major part of, of being introverted is you always think that you're bothering somebody or burdening somebody. And so for me to write it down as a way to, to just get it out and if anybody wants to read it, feel free to read cool. it. It's out there. Right. And it's, but it's not for you. It, it was for me. It was selfish for me to write it down because I needed to do it. Yeah. But if someone else, well, can, and even if, if someone can take something from it, that's that, great. hundred percent. That's fantastic. I love that. And even if you write it personally, just for you to have it, I think that's great. I remember working on somebody a long time ago and they were very much, I don't want to burden other people. And I was like, well, how do you feel when your friends talk to you about their shit? You know, and we went through this whole thing and they just, they would feel honored and they would, they, they felt good about helping their friends. And I'm like, so why are you denying your friend the opportunity to feel that kind of good? Oh, I had the same question asked of me. I get it. <laughs> I still just write it right? down. I, they're, they're people mm -hmm. I share stuff with and they know what it means that if I'm open, they understand. All right. That's a huge trust issue. That's mm -hmm. massive for me to, to pull a coworker aside or friend aside and say, this is what's going on, or this is how I feel. And the ones I do mm -hmm. understand the, um, I don't know, the severity of what that means. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think sometimes too, we don't want to burden someone because we, we have been in situations where people have unloaded on us and we haven't necessarily been able to give them support because of our own shit we're going through. So one of the things that I really advocate for is it's all about consent, right? Whether it's with your partner, your best friend, or just people you work with or hang out with. You're to ask, hey, you have a minute I can talk to you about some stuff? Are you okay? Are you in an okay place? Or also like maybe setting, the, setting it clear, like I just want to vent or I'm looking for a solution or asking. Like my sister and I do that. Like when she'll call me up, she wants to bitch about her husband or something like that. And I'll be like, are we doing a solution? Based conversation, or you want me just to listen to you and agree that he's an asshole? <laughs> There's always a difference, isn't there? <laughs> there is, right? Because the other thing, too, is like if we think we're supposed to fix each other, that can be really stressful. And the thing is that a lot, you can't fix some of it. We were talking about the grief thing earlier, right? There's no fixing that. You just want something to listen. Just which, want to know you're not alone. Which goes back to something we've talked about in the past is that as first responders, we're, we're fixers. Yeah, and, and, hard. and that makes it that adds a different layer to it because that increases the this desire not to share because we don't Do you know think if we can fix it. Don't think about fixing exactly. Yes, 
I think it also can help to readjust or reframe what we mean by fixing. Like I, I used to do this with like productivity. Like a lot of my clients will often feel like their worth is tied to their productivity. Like I have to be productive. I have to produce something. And so getting them to think about rest, right? They're like, I can't rest. I can't just sit on the couch and do nothing because I have all this other shit I got to do. And so we would reframe the idea of productivity as I rest. And I think of rest as a form of productivity because it's going to mean that I can clean more later or I can produce more later. So it's just like a variation of productivity. I feel like you can apply the same thing to what we were just talking about. This is a variation of fixing itself. Learning to listen is a way to fix. It's just a slower, more subtle version of fixing. Okay. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah, it takes and, practice to shift that perspective, but and I do. <laughs> today, there are not many people out there that actually understand what it means to listen. Oh, yeah, that's all. We could talk for hours about what we mean by actually listening. It it takes, I mean, some it's innate for some people, but some it people is. have to learn how to do it. I had to learn. Yeah, and and it's not easy. Mm-mm. And I know for me, I'm good at doing it in certain environments and I'm really terrible about doing it in others. Like as a therapist, I'm great at active listening. I listen to everything my person says. I give reflections like, oh, am I hearing you say this? And I reflect back to them what I think they said. I seek clarification. Then I offer a response. But if I'm talking to my husband, sometimes I already have a response ready and I'm just waiting for him to shut up so I can say what I want to say. <laughs> or I think I know what he's going to tell me. So I interrupt because I'm just going to tell him what it is. I'm not really listening in those situations. No. No, and, and, so, that, and that happens yeah. just because it's the it's a comfort zone and, and you've made assumptions totally. in that comfort zone. Exactly. Or we go back to connecting that to the fixing thing, right? My my husband will be telling me about something he's thinking about. He's he's getting his um, certification as a meditation teacher and he'll be telling me about this like conundrum he's come up with and how to get his business started. And I'll just start giving him solutions. And he'll have to remind me when you do that, it makes me feel like you don't think I can solve this myself. Right. And I'm like, hey, I know better. I know this. I fucking teach people this all the time. <laughs> this is what I do, goddammit. <laughs> right. It's super frustrating. And I like to share that. And I'll tell some of my clients, like, girl, I know I do the same thing. Like, we're human and it takes practice. And so for me to really learn how not to do that, I have to also examine what do I get out of engaging in that behavior? What does it do for me? Or what did it used to do for me? Where did, it, where did this behavior come from that this makes sense? No problem. What do you that find? Mine. Oh God, it varies depending on, you know, who you're talking to. I know for me, I'm often trying to head off a fight that isn't going to happen based on my own childhood mm. because of watching things turn into fights. That's kind of that's kind of where I went with that, <laughs> and so that was interesting. That's why I asked, "What do you think you find?" Yeah, for me, that's almost always that. It's right. always I think there's going to be some fight, but like my husband isn't that kind of guy. My dad was, but my husband isn't. But I still, my body is still responding to memories from the past because I obviously haven't processed all that shit out. I haven't felt all those feelings and let it go. But what I have gotten better about is being more mindful more often throughout the day so that I can catch that, so that I can be aware of, am I responding emotionally to something in the present or am I responding emotionally to something from my past? Yeah. And that hits me kind of at home because again, in my own sessions, that's what I've been, what we've been talking about a lot of this a lot of what I'm going through now and have been going through dates back to 
I don't know what seven and eight years old and things I quite frankly don't even fucking remember right now. They come back in bits and pieces. Yep. And yep. how can I fix the present when I don't even know what the fuck was broken in the past yet? <laughs> and that, and it's okay. We don't have to know all of the things that happen. It's more just like acknowledging that I had these feelings or that I made sense of the world this way. And so that became the lens through which I interpreted everything ever since. But like, have you ever talked to a seven or eight year old and asked them to ex tell you a story or explain something? Yeah, we talked like, about this last time where it's you're going to get a complete <laughs> different story. Like, why are you still operating on the assumptions you made about the world and how it works and how relationships work based on the shit you figured out when you were seven? Right. That sounds silly to us now, but that's what we're all doing. Oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> so we have to stop and go back. And I think that could be really hard for people, too, because it's like on the one hand, for example, I'll use myself like I love my dad. I think he's a, he's loving. He's compassionate. He loves his kids. He'll do anything for any of us. And I know that he's there for me at the end of the day. But I also know that he wasn't always able to give me the kind of things that I needed growing up. Right. The way he behaved, the way he interacted weren't what seven year old me really needed. And so the, the, those things that weren't there, fucked me up a little bit, right? So I can have on the one hand, I love my dad. And on the other hand, I didn't get everything I needed from him. And those two things are not mutually exclusive. And a lot of people have a really hard time being able to say, I love my mom, but my mom hurt me. And my mom hurt me. I love right. my parents and my parents fuck some shit up. <laughs> I can understand them. They did the best that they could. I can understand where their trauma comes from. But if I don't acknowledge that they're humans too, and that they are unintentionally capable of hurting me, now granted, some parents are really fucked and they are intentionally hurting you. And that's also difficult to acknowledge. But for some of us, our parents didn't mean to fuck us up. It was the best they could do with the tools they had at that time. But if I don't own the fact that shit hurt and that shit colored the way that I interpreted relationships and that I made sense of things, how am I going to figure out how to move forward from here? Well, and that's, you, you said the understanding where they were coming from, that they didn't have the tools to give what they needed. And the more I've, the more I've made this on my journey, my own journey, the more I realize, okay, I get some of the spots where my dad was coming from. I, he didn't have those tools, but then on the flip side, I then I look at it from a different point of view and that's my point of view as a father. And I think about mm -hmm. my kids cause my kids are adults now. And I think about, man, imagine the things that they're thinking that I fucked up and I'm not even aware that I screwed up. Oh yeah. I know I fucked up some shit with my kid. Like, we all do. <laughs> right. But we, we all want to get a few months of therapy versus a, a lifetime of therapy. We all want to convince ourselves. <laughs> I didn't make the same mistakes, but I, I sure as fuck made the same mistakes. And it, it's pulling back the, the, I don't know, pulling that back the curtain and, and, it, and owning that as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's funny. My friend and I, last night we were talking about how our parents did this, that, and the other, we were kids, but now we're looking at how we went so far in the other direction as parents ourselves that we fucked up our kids in a different way. <laughs> uh, a lot of people have done that lately. Yes. So like it's, it, no one's going to be perfect. And I think it's interesting to be able to look at the people around us and understand where they're coming from, not as an excuse, not to justify behavior. Bad behavior is still bad behavior. If you didn't get the attention you needed as a kid or your parents were neglectful in some way, like understanding where they came from and why they were fucked up. Basically, I think that helps us start to separate that it was them, not you. I didn't deserve to be treated that way. This is because my parents were their own kind of best. 
And so the way they treated me was more about them than it had to do with me. And so understanding that as an adult can start to help you go back and allow that part of you that still is hurting from those things start to heal because as a kid, you make sense of it from the perspective of it. It's because of me. Because you're very like egocentric when you're little. You can't mm -hmm. think outside of yourself. So everything bad happens because you caused it, deserve it, need it, whatever. But as an adult, you can understand differently. You can start to heal that. And I think that egocentric is important because we all still carry that to a certain, to a degree in, mm -hmm. into our adult lives. We we want to be egocentric, and some of us act <laughs> based solely off of egocentric feelings and. And it's learning to moderate that, learning to change that. And, yeah. and I know I've done that. I've, I've started that for myself. And it's and I, I keep fucking that up. I'll be honest. Uh, and it, it's a tough thing to learn. Yeah. It's about balance. It's all about balance. I like the oxygen mask thing. And if you're in an airplane and the, the oxygen masks fall down, you're supposed to put yours on first before you help others. So there's a balance there of helping yourself and helping others, being there and considering other folks, but also considering yourself and considering yourself first, because you, if you don't put your oxygen mask on, the fuck is everybody else going to do when you pass? And that, that is a great spot to, to tie in first responders, because huh. if we're not taking care of ourselves emotionally and even physically, but emotionally in, in this discussion, we'll, we'll focus on emotionally, then how can we respond to those emergencies of others? Exactly. Yeah. Because you guys come in contact with people in all different states, emotional states. Yeah. And it's tough to deal with them if you're not in a, in a, some frame of mind to, to, to be supportive. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times that's what starts to point towards that burnout as well, because it becomes the norm mm -hmm. not to be able to be. Supportive. And you guys got to be able to support each other on top of your clients, on top of your home life. There's a lot you guys are trying to fix and support. If yeah. you don't, open yourself up to be supported too, though. Yeah, that's a good point as well, to accept right? that support. We are, as humans, very social creatures. We are not meant to do all of this alone. It's just the whole, it takes a village. Like, it just, it, we all need our village. And we all play a role in that. And we need to be there for each other as well as being there for ourselves. Like, it's that holistic thing. Like, all the parts make up the whole and neither are okay by themselves. And I think uh, that might be a perfect spot to, to end this one. Yeah. Like, support yourself <laughs> before you can support others, especially in the first responder world. Yeah. You, you need to have some semblance of self care before you can care for others. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, and it can feel selfish sometimes, but it's so important. It's, I always just go back to the oxygen mask thing. I got to put my mask on first. So we did it again. We went over this list that I had in front of me and we accomplished two of them. <laughs> yes. So we, we still have That's more to go. Post. I think next time I want to get into the, that the active feeling versus the depressive feelings. Active versus that, like, like anger is that active feeling versus sadness. Ah, being a depressed. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. maybe next time we can start to talk some, we can touch on that a little bit, that state of feeling ah, for a body. And then we've mentioned it a couple of times. You've mentioned it a couple of times. And I have a couple of friends that, that practice it quite a bit. Uh, the mindfulness and the meditation part is something maybe we can get into next time as well. Ooh, yeah. That's always fun. So I got lots to say about that. <laughs> so any new book that I'm reading? Yeah. No, actually for once I went back to some old favorites and I've just been listening to some old comfort stories that I like just plain old fiction. <laughs> plain old fiction. That plain old fiction is good. It's brain candy. And sometimes you just need brain candy, especially 
when you're trying to fix everybody's issues. Yeah, I was definitely going, heading my way towards some burnout over the summer and over the last couple of years and everything. And I just finally found my balance. I went on a big hiking trip and then was like, I'm going to listen to some stories for fun. And I, I have just been treating myself to just a little less work when I'm not working. Uh, that's, <laughs> if that makes sense. That's Not only does it make sense, but I think a lot of us need to hear that. Uh, it's, it goes back to that glorification of busy. There's no reason to, to glorify busy. Mm. Take your downtime, recharge, and, and get ready to, I don't know, get ready to be the best you can at work and, and life. Absolutely. And I, I like to talk about like the battery charge, how much I think of energy, emotional energy, physical energy mental energy as like a bank. It's a currency. It's an, it's a finite resource. I only have so much energy and I need to make sure that I'm paying attention where that energy is and I'm making deposits as much as I'm making withdrawals. Cause I want to make sure I have enough energy to also treat the people closest to me the mm -hmm. same awesomeness as I treat the people at work. So I've got to be real mindful of my balance all the time. And if I'm not making enough deposits, I'm going to run out of energy and I'm going to treat my parents or my kid or my husband not as I would prefer. This is real important to me. So I do a lot of recharging these days. It's hard though. It but is. I do it. it is. <laughs> All right. Tell tell everybody where they can find you. You can find me online at www.swearytherapy.com. I'm also on Instagram as swearytherapy and on Facebook. And I am also on the podcast, If the Couch Could Speak. And we are on Anchor and Spotify and on YouTube. And it's just an unscripted podcast with a couple of other therapists that I know and love. And we talk about a variety of things, sometimes therapy related, usually therapy related. And it's just an opportunity for people to hear a bunch of sweary therapists talk about a bunch of random shit. It's, it's a lot of fun. And I think that's all I'm doing right now. All right. That's perfect. I'll let you I'll let you get back to your Saturday and watch the water recede away from your yard. <laughs> watch the kids going canoeing in the backyard. See what kind of cleanup is going to be <laughs> in your future. Thank you. I look forward to doing this again soon. Awesome. We'll look at it for uh, end of the month or next month and we'll figure it out. All right. I love it. All Thank right. you. Take care. Enjoy your day. Mm -hmm. You too. Bye. Thanks for listening to another episode of The Things We All Carry. Head over to the website, thethingsweallcarry.com, for show notes, resources, and to sign up for the newsletter. Until next week, take care of yourselves, and remember to check in on each other.